Welcome, everybody, to Bridge Builders Communities Church Sermon Podcast. You are listening to one of our messages from our weekly gathering. We hope that you sit back and enjoy and be blessed. sent me a quick text this morning, um, actually early this morning, 616, <laughs> it said, praying for you as you serve and give yourself to the Father, and then he gave me a scripture from 1 Corinthians 9:16. for I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. We are very, very excited about this series, and it's one of those things where we don't have a plan going, you know, as the weeks progress. We're not sure where it's all going to go. We're seeing where the Holy Spirit takes us in this. We're trying to hear from God in this, uh, and as, as we do, we want you know, to be led by the Holy Spirit, we want to get out of this uh, what we can. The Gospels are exciting, as we'll see as we start uh, this preaching today. I just want to set my timer here to make sure that uh, we stay we stay on time. It, there was a a joke going around back in. Uh, Christmas time, and the joke kind of went this way. The question was, uh, did you hear that they can't set up a manger scene in Washington, D.C. this year? And, no, I didn't hear that, you know, and they said, yeah, it's all over the news. They, they, they searched all around Washington, they couldn't find three wise men. And that, that was the joke that we, it was going around, I had... I had heard it, and it was, actually, uh, it's, it sounds pretty funny um, if, if you really think about it. Um, God's put a lot of wise men in Washington, all right, and we, we know that the joke sounds funny because there's so much hatred and political problems going on in Washington, D.C., that sometimes what comes out of the laws and the rules that they Make they sound ridiculous, you know, but it's not because of the, the men that are there. It's just that there's a lot of disagreements, and, and they they come out with that. But you know, the the political atmosphere and the cultural problems that have come out uh, in 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 our country are not a whole lot different than a lot of the political things and cultural things that happened in the time of Jesus. Uh, he had to deal with that, too, when he came. And so, you know, we want to talk a little bit uh, about that today, about that, uh, uh, how Jesus dealt with that. How did he deal with the, uh, the cultural atmosphere that uh, was going on? You know, he, he left his throne in heaven, and he came at a time when 
there was a lot of uh, upheaval in, in the, the nation of Israel because they weren't ruling themselves. Rome had taken over Israel, and Rome was ruling there at, at, at the time. So Jesus came at a time when he had to deal with that. And sometimes when I'm thinking about this, why Jesus came at that time? Because he was coming to die for us, but the death that he was going to have to bear under was, was so oppressive, so tremendous, so awful that, you know, he could have come at another time, let's say now, becomes now, and he's found guilty of whatever they trump up here to, to figure out, you know, why they would be able to put him to death. Even his death would have been a lot easier for him. Today you get a shot of something, it makes your heart stop, and you're dead. It's pretty much painless. What Jesus did for us was so much more horrible than what he, what he went through before he finally died for us. You know, why did he choose that? And I, I, when I think about it, I'm sure there's multiple reasons for it. And I don't know what the reasons are, but I think two of them might be, number one, to show us how horrible sin really is. When you really meditate on what, how he died and what he went through, the suffering that he went through in that period of time before he finally died on Good Friday, that suffering was horrendous. And so is sin. It's horrendous. Okay, It's something terrible. And the other uh, reason that I think he might have chosen that, that horrible death, is to show how much he loved us. Because he didn't have to choose that. He sitting back in eternity before he created any of us or the earth, he had a choice to make. He could have come at any time. And yet he chose to come at a time that that was just a, an awful time for him to be able to give up his life because the Roman culture at that time when they killed criminals was just an awful way of doing it. So it's that extensive love that he has. And we just sang a song that said his love extended to the heavens. And I was thinking of that while, uh, while we were singing that. Because to the heavens means it just keeps on going. We can't measure it. That love that he has for us, we can't measure. We can't, in our own self, just you know, comprehend that love. We, we know it's there, and, and we will speak it, but we can't really comprehend it because it's so, it's so much greater than what we can ever imagine. So, Heavenly Father, we, we just thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you everything that you've given us and done for us. Lord, as, as we enter into a study of, of your Gospels, Lord God, and the different aspects of that, help us to uh, just to understand more uh, the, that love that you have for us and, and why you came. And we pray that in your precious name. Amen. Okay. So, so when we think about... Jesus coming and he gives up his throne in heaven 
the people at that time, and when we studied the Gospels, basically, we actually we see or gaze upon the face of God. And when we gaze upon the face of God, we should never be the same. I want to go take us back into uh, the book of Isaiah before we actually get into the Gospels. In Isaiah chapter 6, starting right in verse 1. I'll read it. If uh, you want to follow in your Bible, that's fine. And if you don't just want to listen, that's okay. But this gives us some impetus as to what things happen because we're gazing at the face of Jesus, at the face of God. This says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. Just want to stop there for a second. So the seraphim had six wings. Two covered the eyes. Two covered the mouth, I think, was the second one. And the, and the third one, uh, the, the other two, he used for flying. So there were four, actually, that were worshiping. And two were used to do things with. And it shows how important it, to God worship is. It's, it's an extremely important thing that the seraphim actually had twice as many of the wings used for worship as uh, as it used for doing things, which was the flying, the flying part of it. And it teaches us that how important worship needs to be in our lives. Okay, we just finished some corporate worship. But corporate worship for half an hour on a Sunday morning is not the only worship that God wants from our lives. Okay, he wants 24-7. He wants everything that we're doing to be an act of worship for him. I want to go on reading uh, verse 5 now. So I said, this is Isaiah now, Woe to me, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. So woe is me, for I am undone. He's realizing, Isaiah is realizing, you know, this, when, when you stand in the presence of God, you're really humbled because you realize the greatness of God and, you know, where we are in relationship to this. Good thing God loves us, you know. There's no judgment here. There's just love. But it just it gives us this um, idea of, of, you know, who God really is. He's God, and there's, there's nobody like him. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar. 
And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. So seeing the face of God, we experience who we really are, but it also gives us that impetus to go and do whatever God is is telling us to do, showing us to do. So as we study the life of Jesus, hopefully these are the things. We're going to be gazing on the face of God. And as we're gazing on the face of God, it's going to lead us to worship and it's going to lead us to action, those two things. All right, so I have a question for you. Why did Jesus come? What do you think? Second Adam? Okay. Anybody else? Why did Jesus come? Show us God. And he sure did, didn't he? Showed us the goodness of God. Anybody else want to venture a guess? Not that anything here is right or wrong, because there's, there's lots of reasons, but actually Jesus answered this question while he was on the earth. And he answered the question while he was standing before Pilate. So I want to take you into John chapter 18. And I want to start reading in verse 33. And he's standing before Pilate. Pilate's questioning him. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Okay, so he's saying he came into the world to testify to the truth. So that must be pretty important, truth. I looked in the book of John. There are 25 scriptures in the book of John that mention the word truth. You think it's important that we know the truth? Wow. So I picked some of them. I... We're not going to go through 25 verses, but 
I, I picked some of them, and I'm going to ask for some help here in reading them. I'd like somebody to get John 14:6, and these are all very short. They're all most of them are just one one-liners. Does somebody want to get John? Raj, you want to get that? And how about John 17:17? 17, 17? And hon, you want to get that one? John 17:17. 17, 17. And John 14, 16. Janet, would you get that one? 14, 16. And John 4, 24. Okay, Barb. And John 8, 32. Joe. We're going we're gonna to stick with those five, all right, and then we'll move on from there. Now, uh, I'm going to read them also afterwards only because uh, this is being recorded and sometimes when you're not near the microphone, uh, it, it doesn't come out. So, John uh, 14.6, go ahead. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, Jesus said, I am the way. I, I think about this today because there's, there's so much talk today about tolerance. And they make a big deal out of, you know, if, if you believe one thing and somebody else believes something else and, and you know, you're trying to explain why you believe what you believe, you're called intolerant because they feel that you're not accepting what the other person uh, is saying. If Jesus came today and was walking the streets and said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he would be called intolerant immediately. You know, because, well, that's, that's not love. You're telling everybody else you're, they're wrong because they, they're not believing what you're saying. Okay, so it's, it's one of those things where um, back then... Uh, I don't think they used the word intolerant because that became a, a real catchword in the last year or two. But back then, there were probably people who didn't believe what he said because he, he claimed he was the way, the truth, and the life, one of them being the Pharisees, okay, the, the, the religious leaders of the time. Okay, something else about truth, John seventeen seventeen. Okay, two things about truth in there. Number one, makes us holy, sanctifies us in reading the word. And number two, okay, the word is truth. So how do we learn the truth? We need to stay in the word. We need to be reading the word. Right? If, if we're reading the word, we're not going to uh, come out with errors, come out with thinking errors, you know, because it's going to keep correcting us. Could we possibly think the wrong thing? Yes. But as we're reading the word, that will be corrected. And that's the great thing about the word. It's going to keep us on target and on that straight road that we need to be on. And who's going to help us with that? John fourteen sixteen, Janet. And I will 
Right. And that comforter, um, I think it goes on to say, is the spirit of truth. He's our helper. Jesus loved him. Matter of fact, Jesus had said, unless I go to the Father, I can't send the spirit. So when Jesus went to the Father, he left us with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit, Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit will teach us the truth. So again, if we're reading the Word and it's something that we don't understand. We ask the Holy Spirit, help us out. And that's, that's what he's here for. He's here to help us out, to make sure that we stay in the truth. He will lead us into all truth. He will keep us from error. Okay, and John 4.24 Okay, that's what we were just doing. We're trying to worship him in spirit and truth. So the truth has to be there in in our worship. All right? So we know who we're worshiping. We're worshiping God, okay? And no one else and nothing else. All right? Uh, It's very easy to get off that track and worship things. We don't even realize it sometimes, but we idolize other things sometimes and we begin to treat them as, as if we're worshiping them rather than and worshiping God. And then what worship does um, and, and what the truth does, John 8.32. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the truth will set us free. Amen to that. And that's what we're looking for. Jay has preached on this so many times. Um, we can get locked up very, very easily in sin. Okay, sin can be something that actually controls our life. There's extreme things where you could actually see it. Like for some example, somebody's an alcoholic, okay, and they just can't seem to give up alcohol. That's sin that is controlling them. But it's it's very obvious. But there's other sins that aren't so obvious that it controls our life all right, and in controlling our life, obviously takes us away from God. And we want that freedom. We want God to show us those things. We want God to help us with those things so that uh, we don't have other things that we're idolizing that are controlling uh, what we have. You know, um, everybody has a God. Everybody. Okay, sometimes it's a small G. But everybody has a God. Things that they look up to, things that they idolize, think that things that they are controlled by. Ephesians 6.14 tells us also that it's the truth that protects us. It's protecting us from things. We won't go in and read that right now because um, I, I don't want to go too long into this. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of other things that we uh, have to be... Uh, talking about, uh, and 2 Timothy 4.3 talks about uh, turning away from the truth. God protects us from turning away from the truth. And Romans 1.18, uh, I want to read very, very quickly because uh, it's really important that we realize that the truth can actually be suppressed. This is Romans 1.18. Got to mark that one off in here. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. All right. This is very common today. Okay, with a, a lot of the a lot of the things that's going on. One of them being like abortion. Another being homosexuality. There's just all of these things where the culture actually suppresses the truth. All right, and if you follow the culture, which some Christians do, but if you're following the culture and what the laws of the land are, then the truth is actually being suppressed. There, we have a law that permits abortion. And in New York, I mean, it's really bad because right up until the, the last day before that you have that baby, you can have that abortion. Now, the law is saying it's okay. They are suppressing the truth because the truth is that that is a person and that, that that's murder. But they suppress that. Okay, And we have to be careful as Christians, staying in the word, knowing what the truth is. That's pretty much an easy one, but there's a lot of things that are like that that can come in. How did Jesus deal with this back then? Okay, Basically, there were a number of uh, things that helped him out that gives us some ideas of what we could do. First of all, in Luke chapter 2, verse 49, this is at the time that... Joseph and Mary had traveled into, I believe it was into Jerusalem, and they were going back back home. And I think Jesus was supposedly about 12 years old at the time. And for some reason, Mary thought that Jesus was with Joseph, and Joseph thought Jesus was with Mary, and he wasn't with either one of them, and they took off on this journey a couple of days and then realized that he wasn't with this caravan of, of people. And they came back looking for him, and when they got back, they found him in the temple, and he was like teaching the uh, all the Pharisees who, who happened to be in the temple at the time, and amazing them with the knowledge that he had. But the point is, the words that he said to his mother and father was, "Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? That it was important for him." He was focused, even at the age of 12, that he was uh, uh, doing his, his father's business. And another um, time, and there was Luke chapter 8, uh, verse 21. And this is when uh, his parents and his brothers and sisters were uh, looking for him. And they, I guess they found he was inside a building, and they were they were teaching at the time, and you know he says to the people who came in, they said, "Your mother and your brothers are out there," and he's in there teaching, he's in there ministering to them, and he said, "You know, who are my brothers and who am, who is my mother?" And it's for people who obey me, obey the commandments of God, and again, he's focused on what God had him uh, doing. He would spend early morning hours, once his ministry started, going up into the mountainside and praying. He did that because uh, he wanted to hear from the Father. He wanted to make sure that he was in tune with what the Father was having him do that day or that week. 
All right, and that was really uh, important for him. And also, uh, he started his ministry by going into the desert and spending 40 days with the Father, all right, speaking to him, praying, and fasting. Okay, I often wonder how he did that, but I mean, it was a, it's, a, it's a marvelous thing to do because, uh, you know, giving up anything that's pleasurable. And then just hearing from God really enables you uh, to hear from, from, uh, from him. One thing about Jesus, he did not fear man. As he focused on the Father, he, he kept the, the Father into, you know, in line uh, with him so that he would always be hearing from him. He did not try to please man. There were times when he showed that uh, it was the Sabbath day and they were walking through the grain fields with his disciples and he's picking the grain because they were hungry. Okay, And that's a no-no. You know, you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath, so you're not allowed to pick grain on the Sabbath. And he knew he was going to get grief from the Pharisees over that, but that did, did, uh, did not bother him. Same with the time he healed on the Sabbath. Uh, he knew, again, the Pharisees were going to criticize him for that. Didn't, didn't bother him at all because he knew this is what the Father wanted him to do, and he did it. The political atmosphere at that time was extremely difficult. Rome was very oppressive okay, to the, uh, to the Jewish people. And the Jewish people at that time, were expecting a savior to come and free them from the Roman rule. That was what was expected. So when Jesus came and they saw that oh, here is our deliverer coming, what did they expect him to do? They expected him to politically free them from the Roman rule. And this was not anything that Jesus was coming to do. He had no, no political aspirations at all. And as you see in his teachings and, 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 his, and what he did, uh, he didn't touch the politics at the time. Even in things like slavery, slavery existed at that time. But he didn't touch that because that's not why he came. Okay? He came specifically for the Jewish people to uh, to you know, bring them uh, to the Lord. He came to uh, uh, speak to the hearts and the souls of all of the individuals that he came across during, or during the time. He came to proclaim the good news of redemption to the people. He stayed focused on that and did that for the three years of, uh, of his, his ministry. Okay, there was no other agendas on him. He didn't, he didn't branch out into other things. All right. We're going to talk a little bit next week about how Jesus's life uh, can be an example for what we should be doing or not doing. Okay. And that uh, will be interesting because there's some thin lines there of, of things that, you know, that we would really uh, have to have to think about. But everything else that was outside that focus of bringing this redemption was irrelevant to him. It was just not nothing that 
he would want to uh, to do or or or, or stay with. Um, he uh, some examples of some of the things he did were uh, basically the uh, healings that he did. He did. There were so many people he touched uh, as he would walk around and uh, trying to minister to people, but he would minister in a way that would heal their bodies because, guess what? Time's up. Uh, he, would, he would try and minister to them in, ver- in various ways because he, he wanted to reach their heart because that was his heart. And his main thing was reach the hearts of the people, but as they're reaching the hearts of the people, sometimes healings and different things like that come into play. So they can see that the, the, lo- the love of Jesus was for them. He did make it clear that his kingdom was not on this earth. All right? His kingdom was from another world, and he just brought that out uh, to people. So we look forward to next week to taking a lot of what Jesus did and, and the way he he stayed focused on the Father's will and bringing that into our own lives and seeing how does that affect us? What can we do to also be imit- imitating Jesus? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for uh, showing us how to live, for showing us uh, that your Father's will was not only the most important thing in, in your life, Lord, but that it should be the most important thing in our lives. Thank you for the examples that you give us, Lord God. I pray, Lord, as, as, as we go forth, Lord, that this week, Lord, we spend some time in the book of John. We may not have time to read the entire book of John, but maybe we can read some of it that would show us uh, some of those things that we've talked about today and maybe lead us into how we can apply that uh, to our own lives. So, Lord, as we go forth today, I just pray that we uh, glorify you, that we honor you and praise you in everything we say and that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.